welcome to Cypherspeak, Artifacts, Ciphers, and Podities. Today, my co-host Darcy is a vengeful game mistress who exiles cards. And my co-host Troy is a surprised game master who gives out random easy buttons to his players. <laughs> and this is Cypherspeak. And today, our artifact is comparing ciphers and how they are used in different settings within the cipher system. So ciphers are the namesake of the game. They are essentially one-use items that characters are going to get frequently and hopefully use frequently, analogous, to use a dangerous word as we've established, to magic items or potions. We were going to give you a list of some of our favorite ciphers because uh, they have brought us many hours of joy and despair at our games, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So one of my favorite ones is The Helpful Companion. I don't know if this is in any of the other books, but it's from The Hum, a Strange Adventure by Bruce Cordell. In The Strange, they take on different forms. So on Earth, this looks like a a tall cloth doll with button eyes and a stitched mouth. Really creepy. In Arden, which is a fantasy recursion, it's a burlap dragon doll, which is really cute. But the effect is that when you activate the cipher, the doll becomes animated and it acts as a level three companion creature. So it kind of just follows you creepily and uh, like helps you with any tasks you might be doing. So you don't really make rolls for it, but it's just this like creepy doll that follows you around. And it was like, it really creeped us out at that hum game that I got to sit in with Bruce Cordell running one Gen Con. Is so good. So helpful companion. Uh, that's awesome. My first one is the mystery box. The mystery box is from the technology compendium for Numenera. When someone opens it, the GM rolls 2d20 and a random effect occurs. Uh, so this is basically the deck of many things for Numenera. Awesome. Just a couple of the results that are some of my personal favorites. <laughs> uh, the first one is if you roll two ones on your 2d20, you vanish. A singularity appears in the space left by the cipher and drags everything within immediate range into another reality or dimension. Oh my God, Um, this happened to you? uh, It actually, yes, did happen in my Numenera game. What did you do? Well, the player that opened it got dragged into a different dimension, and then I improvised a way for the rest of the group to get him out. Nice. Oh my gosh. Uh, So, but yes, he could see things going on, but couldn't affect the story for a little Mm. while. It was very amusing. Another one uh, that I haven't had happen, but uh, I think would be hilarious is a starfall. A meteorite falls from the sky and strikes a spot within 10 miles, destroying everything within one mile of where it lands. So (laughs) you open the box. Nothing may actually happen right where you are, but you see a meteor burn out of the sky and like strike the ground and there's a huge explosion. And who knows, you could be like the destroyer of some town because you opened the mystery box. Right. Then we have wretched mutants. Each creature within short range gains a harmful mutation. So, you know, just roll some random mutations and see what happens. You know, this would be good if your characters are all like huddled around the campfire and they can all get a mutation so they can all get in on the fun. (laughs) And then, obviously, you have cosmic awareness. For the user, the difficulty of all tasks is reduced by three steps for one hour. So it basically makes somebody like super powerful because everything is so much easier. They've gone super saiyan. It might come with an itty bitty living space as well. And that is actually, that is the effect if you roll two 20s on your 2d20. Oh, so good. Itty bitty living space. (laughs) Ultimate cosmic power. Itty bitty living space. (laughs) Excellent reference. 
The next cipher I'm going to introduce is partly an exercise in narcissism, so get ready. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I believe it was the Cypher System World Kickstarter. One of the backer pledge levels you could get was to design some new ciphers or some artifacts, Mm -hmm. right? They were coming out with the artifact deck, right? Mantica Games, I think, was trying to like advertise it, and so they wanted some pitch artifacts. And so they asked me for one, and I gave them a bunch of interesting ones. And I gave them one not-so-long-winded one, and they picked the least interesting but clearly most concise artifact um, (laughs) that I designed. And so it's Reactive Wings. It scans the user and surrounding medium and then infects the user with a swarm of nanites that rapidly constructs fleshy attachments such as wings or fins that persist for one hour um, and it improves your movement rate through whatever method you need but i like the idea of just having that kind of cure-all i want to be better in wherever the heck i am cypher yep super cool my next one is the wish disc Basically, this is a level 10 cipher, which is generally as high as they go. And it's a set of metal discs that are nestled within each other. And the effect is the user states a change in reality that they wish to have happened. (laughs) And it or something very like it occurs. This is essentially your typical wish spell from Dungeons and Dragons. But the cool thing about giving this to your, your group is they can only use it once which means that they're going to be very careful about what they wish for. The other thing is, is that it kind of explicitly states that (laughs) uh, you have the ability to mess with their wish. However, you can come up with the best way to mess with it. So if they say, I want to be super strong or whatever, and you give them a whole bunch to their might pool, well, they didn't say anything about their speed pool. And so maybe all that (laughs) bulked up muscle has made them slower and they, you know, lose a bunch of speed pool points. Or, you know, they want some object created and it just ends up being of poor quality and it breaks after they use it two or three times. They wanted Stonehenge and it's only like knee height. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just a little smaller. Mm-hmm. It's to scale. <laughs> so uh, I think it's just a cool cipher to see what your players will try to do with it. And uh, my rule of thumb is depending on how much they try to abuse their wish is how much mm-hmm. I will abuse them back. Naturally. They, they've got to expect that. <laughs> so now I'm going to introduce the reason that I changed my character sentence today, and that is the summoning device cipher that I have banned from use in my games for now because it is just anything I'd prepped was just like thrown out the window as soon as the cipher came out. Um, it is a summoning device. On one action, the device locates a random ultra terrestrial being. This being becomes visible in the lens, and then on the second action, you can open a portal and pull it into this world. The ultra-terrestrial creature cannot resist, but once it's here, it is not compelled to do anything, such as your bidding, unless it can return with its own power or through some other means. (laughs) It's, like, stuck here. So you summon this, like, immensely powerful creature from somewhere else, and it does whatever it wants. It's gotten pulled out of my deck of ciphers too many times. So in a convention game, it has pulled down like these crazy giant worm beings that sat down (laughs) with a player and gave it relationship advice. This immensely powerful thing and the player only wanted to like convince it to get relationship advice. It was adorable. Um, But then at the end, it used it to summon more of the worm things and they like got rid of all the enemies at the end. Big epic battle. The second thing, summon like this tree thing that was super sentient and like lulled to sleep anyone who was in the nearby range. They started becoming one with the tree. They were basically being absorbed by it. It was very complicated and weird. And I I think we just decided those players were lost (laughs) to the tree forever and everyone was happy with it. So thankfully they did it at the end of the session because if they had done it earlier, what the heck? 
And the final one is recorded forever to live in infamy on uh, One Shot Podcast's episode of Numenera, where they summoned Batman. I'm Batman. They just straight up summoned Batman. It was so good. <laughs> it was so good, but it was also like, like I wanted this combat to be over so much faster. I'm like, okay, Batman's here now. <laughs> Guess we have to make things happen. <laughs> uh, so I, I love it dearly, but I also hate it. <laughs> And, and this is a lesson for all the GMs at home. Random ciphers can either make your game or break ah, your game. Yep. So one of my favorite things happened. It happened in a Numenera game. My group was fighting a massive horde of goat beast men. And they went into the room. There was like 10 minions and the big bad leader guy. And they basically went all like that scene from the end of Fifth Element where oh, uh, yeah. where Bruce Willis like points the gun in the room and shoots the leader and the rest of them don't know what to do. Yeah. They basically used some powerful cipher, killed the leader guy, and all of the little like level two minions are like, um, we don't know what to do. You just killed our leader. And then they all ran away. So like Aww. I had this big climactic encounter set up with like the leader and all his minions and they said, we use this cypher, we kill him, everyone else runs away. They were like tier one characters, this is their big climax and they just used the cypher to the best of their advantage. It was, it was great. But did they enjoy it? Oh, they enjoyed it very much. You know, when they get to use just the right cypher that circumvents all your prep, <laughs> as long as they're happy... That's not cheating. That's awesome. Right. And, yeah. and absolutely. It, it was awesome. It it was totally unexpected. It took me by surprise. It was just one of those moments where like, yep, they just happened to have the thing and it worked great. Awesome. My last one is the ever handy force screen projector. Yay. So this basically is a cipher that creates a 20 by 20 plane of force. So why I like this cipher and why I chose it is that it just, to me, is something that is cool to give the players that doesn't have a specific obvious use. Yeah. So players have used this for all kinds of things. They use it to put down this plane of force over a chasm so that they can get across more easily. I've had them use it as part of a trap where they set up this plane of force and then they start hitting a creature with ranged attacks and it runs at them and then it runs into this plane of force and then they throw stuff down on it from some hidden position above. <laughs> it's just a great cipher that I think demonstrates how people can use ciphers in a lot of different ways and use their creativity for ciphers and maybe not for what you might initially think it was intended for. Yeah, it's kind of this utility cipher that sparks inspiration for weird ways to solve different situations. All right. As we kind of said, we're going to compare ciphers across settings and genres of the cipher system to understand how they take different form and act differently. So Darcy, what is a cipher? When you're trying to play Harry Potter in the cipher system, what are ciphers in Harry Potter world? You know, I want to play mm -hmm. my favorite IP. How do I contextualize ciphers in this world? I think the three elements of a cipher is that it has to have a semi-random appearance rate. So usually shouldn't be something you can just buy off the shelf, right? Right. It should be able to have sort of a random function. So you shouldn't always know what you're going to get when you get one. 
Mm-hmm. And there should be a range of functions and it should be uh, somewhat randomizable. And it's got to be consumable or in some way temporary. You know, this one-shot nature of ciphers. Usually we think of it as consumable, like in Numenera, or like you quaffed a magic potion. So now it's gone. You can't you can't re-quaff it, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> you can tweak that a bit, like maybe in your Cypher Supers game, you have abilities that you can use maybe once per session. You have to push yourself really hard to do it, and it's something you can't do every day, but it's not exactly consumed. It's just you're not refreshed enough to use it again until a while later. Yep. And yeah, like you said, it's, it's hard to nail down what a cipher is across all of these different yeah. settings. But that's kind of what we were able to boil down to. This is what we think, you know, is kind of the core of what a cipher is meant to be. Yeah. So Darcy, uh, what's the first setting that we're going to cipher for ciphers here? I think we should start at the beginning. So uh, Numenera was the first cipher system setting. So Numenera introduced the first ciphers. Ciphers are pretty integral to the setting and the lore of what Numenera is, right? So Numenera is Earth a billion years in the future. There's all these civilizations that have left behind their amazing technology trash that (laughs) Numenera Day humans get to rifle through and try to use. And so scavenge tech is just everywhere. And so that's what these ciphers are. So they're semi-random because you don't know which civilization left it, right? There's a lot you don't know about it. So the appearance rate is semi-random. The function can be pretty random because you don't really understand the technology and the science behind what these ancient civilizations use to produce this object, right? You're just kind of looking at it and trying to figure out what it does through trial and error. So they're consumable because you're usually salvaging this tech and you're probably not using it in its intended function. And so you're you're just not going to be able to get a bunch of uses out of something that you're hacking so aggressively, right? Or, you know, some things are actually consumable like a pill that you'd eat, right? So there's lots of ways that they get consumed. Cipher limits are kind of another interesting thing to think about. The reason you don't just grab every cipher you ever see and keep it on your person <laughs> and just never use them, why, why you don't hoard them is because... The ciphers are based in these powerful technologies that might interact in bad ways. And so when you reach your cipher limit, which is I usually think of as a player, you know, hiding weird bits of ciphers on them or like using this really thick leather bag to sort of insulate this one from the other one. You know, I imagine there's always some time narratively of rearranging them so that they don't short each other out. But if you do go over your cipher limit, there's a there's a table. You roll on this table to say, okay, how did these two ciphers interact. And sometimes that results in destruction of ciphers. Sometimes it results in you get a mutation. Sometimes it results in all your hair turns pink. Like these, you know, there's a a wide range of effects that can have. A a tiny singularity forms and sucks you and all of your ciphers into it. You know, that could happen. Yeah, casually. Uh, Something interesting that I think was only in Numenera relative to ciphers is they split up ciphers into, and I'm not going to pronounce this right, but anoetic, A-N-O-E-T-I-C, versus occult ciphers. So basically, ciphers that took up one slot or that were kind of simple to use ciphers and ciphers that were a little more complicated to use were bigger or more powerful in some way, and they took up two slots in your cipher limit. I largely ignored that, which is probably why everyone always had the summoning device, which usually takes up two slots by the time they needed it. So maybe if I paid more attention to that, I could have not shot myself in the foot so much. But um, 
you know, I don't think they kept that for any of the other games. Do you, Troy? Yeah, I, I don't believe I've seen it anywhere else. And I think that it's basically for the reason that you just talked about, right? I think a lot mm-hmm. of people were essentially just ignoring it anyway. Mm-hmm. It's just another bookkeeping thing to have to, yeah. to worry about. So. I mean, it could give you a bit more control over the power level of your players, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's a way to demarcate which are the more powerful, crazy, going to mess up your game ciphers (laughs) versus the the chiller ones. But, you know, I've kind of embraced the, you know, neither the players nor I will know what we'll get in terms of power level with these ciphers. And that's kind of fun, too. So I, I usually ignore it, but I can see why they made it in the first place. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So I really like the implementation of ciphers in Numenera. Obviously, they really fit Numenera because they are such a core part of the setting. I mean, the game was really designed with that in mind. You know, some of the other ones that we may get to, you have to twist and think a little bit, but they definitely fit so well in Numenera. And I also love that they're, I think, the most tangible way that the players continually kind of interact with the sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, definitely. Why don't you take our next setting, Troy? So next, we're going to jump to the next big cipher system setting, and that is The Strange. In The Strange, players travel around to tiny self-contained universes, often based on the, you know, the fiction of Earth. The ciphers in The Strange come from The Strange itself. So these are things that have kind of broken out of the, the code or the essence, I guess, of The Strange and been imbued with some sort of power. Uh, mm-hmm. So they really are kind of like a self-contained snippet of that God code. And that's kind of why they only have a single effect is they're, they're this little thing that's been broken off and they can break the recursion, whatever you're in, their laws. And that's why they have that super amount of power. The cool thing about ciphers in The Strange is they can kind of appear as anything, but people who are in the know, you know, quickened, can understand that this is a cipher and it has some sort of special ability. Others might just say, oh, this is my grandfather's pocket watch. It's been passed down for generations. Or it might be something in a museum People know that it has value, but they might not know why. Mm. The other thing that's interesting about ciphers in The Strange is as you move from recursion to recursion, your cipher will sometimes appear as a different type of object. Darcy was mentioning the the servant, you know, how its doll form is different depending on which recursion you're in. So again, you know, you just kind of exploring, you might find these things around in the strange, defeated foes, museums, treasuries, anywhere where people are keeping valuables. Those are where you might find ciphers throughout the strange. The interesting thing about ciphers in The Strange is that when you transition between recursions, ciphers are one of the few things that travel through those recursions without issue. Right. This is because they are that God code from The Strange itself, so they can really go anywhere and they're not subject to the real laws of what's going on. And lastly, there is also a cipher limit in the, the strange, but as you get too many pieces of God code together, you never know what effects may may happen. And the strange doesn't have a table where really bad things happen like Numenera does. Um, mm-hmm. It's really just more a random cipher disappears because you have kind of too many pieces of this code around. You know, the, the strange kind of streamlined that 
cipher overage thing. And I, I almost wonder if it's because the bad results on the Numenera table were pretty bad <laughs> or could yeah, be. Yeah, they're rough. And, and I wonder if it was, we don't want to really punish people for having too many ciphers. Mm-hmm. We just want to make sure that they don't hold on to them forever, you know, to so, encourage them to use yeah, them, encourage them to use them. And then the last thing that I just wanted to to mention is there was a glimmer that came out that I think is actually applicable for all of the game systems, but I, I guess I most closely associate it with the strange. This is the extreme cipher glimmer. And the cool thing about this glimmer is that it gives kind of those same ciphers you were just talking about where they are ciphers of pretty extreme power. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> they can do things that no other ciphers can do. And they also break the level 10 uh, limit. You know, so there is an eclipse cipher, which is level 12. Uh, which a location up to 10 miles away is shadowed in darkness in an area three miles in radius for an entire day. Whoa. So it just blots out the sun for a day. That That's kind of the power of some of these extreme ciphers. So definitely a glimmer worth taking a look at if you want to amp up some of the power in your game or if you want to like have a cipher that's like the goal of a mission, right? Yeah, like, great point. You know, we know there's this thing that can cause a total eclipse and we don't want it to be in the bad guy's hands or we want it because we need to use it. There's going to be a sun flare or something. And if we can blot yeah. out the sun, then it, we don't have the effects of it or whatever. So I just think that that's a, an interesting supplement to take a look at. Especially for any kind of high powered game that you might want to do. It's also a good good time to look at it. Yeah, speaking of which, I was going to dip into a couple different genres that you might be wanting to play the cipher system in, sort of separate from these well-fleshed-out settings. Potentially modern genres that you might want to play could be things like uh, superheroes, which I've run a bunch of, and I really enjoy in the cipher system. I think it works really well. I'm very excited for Unmasked, which is going to be a big, fully-fleshed-out setting from Dennis Detweiler. Yay, but that's a long way away, so (laughs) I can't get that excited. Until then, there's an asset team adventure that I don't think is out yet called uh, Dread Expectations. How they contextualize ciphers is there are lots of gadgets, especially things you can throw, right? Like Batman might have a lot of smoke bombs and things that he might want to throw, things on his tool belt that are consumable. He might be able to make more of them, but on a given adventure or an arc, he's going to have just a couple of these that he's going to throw one time, right? So gadgets can kind of work fluctuations in your ability to control your superpowers is also a way to kind of think about ciphers, right? If you're playing a game where you guys are learning to come to terms with powers, like any magical girl game or Steven Universe, (laughs) you know, Young Justice, you know, you're not a fully fledged superhero yet. You're you're Mm -hmm. figuring yourself out. Ciphers could be those times when uh, you're motivated by emotion or something, but you can get the full extent of your nascent power if you use this cipher once in a while. So that, that could be one way you look at it. I think with a number of these genres, Troy had a good point thinking about it's kind of hard to make the distinction between what should just be equipment that is around, although maybe expensive or hard to come by, versus an actual cipher. I don't know if you had more thoughts on that. I think that I was thinking about this specifically in a science fiction setting and maybe even more specifically in a Star Wars type game. 
the typical example there is the thermal detonator from Star Wars. Is this something mm-hmm. that you want in your game to be equipment where players can go and buy them? They may be illegal, they may be expensive, they may be hard to find, but they are something that they can buy. Or do you want them to be that special thing where it is a cipher, they can only hold so many of them, and it's just something that they, they either find or maybe they still do buy it, but it's still something that takes up one of those, those cipher slots. I think the game can work either way. I think it's just thinking about you as a GM, what kind of flavor you want those items to have, right? How rare should a thermal detonator be? You'll never find a case of ciphers. So if you want to find a case of thermal detonators, (laughs) then they should just be equipment. But if it's going to be like, hey, this is the one big grenade thing, then I think they fit ciphers very well. Oh, that's a very good test for it. Can you find a case of it? (laughs) If you can, it's not a cipher, maybe. Right. So, you know, Corellian brandy is not a cipher because you definitely want to find a case of that. It's an artifact. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I love it. Cool. So for horror games, especially in a like Cthulhu or investigative type setting, you can possibly have ciphers be curses, but like you can use them for yourself, right? Some scrap of paper that gives you power that might come with maybe even a drawback. Maybe your cipher limit is that if you if you get too much of these pieces of knowledge before using them and you know, burning them from your memory, you start to go mad or something. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that could be cool. I want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) For investigation type games, you could have very subtle ciphers. Like, I don't think we've discussed this distinction yet. In the cipher system rulebook, they talk about manifest ciphers, which are physical things that you can acquire and touch in the world versus uh, subtle ciphers, which are more like a stroke of luck, possibly the divine favor of a god. And so they, they have no physical form your hard-boiled tenacity of a detective, you should just be able to like hard-headedly push through things sometimes, right? <laughs> so that could be like horror investigation. We'll have my friend Jeremy on at some point talking about a Mundania game, which is kind of like, you know, we basically played a sitcom. And so if you're playing something where you think the the context is like, a TV show or something, like some kind of serialized context for this, you could get meta with ciphers in a, in a way that I think could be interesting. Like a narrative reason for a cipher could be your budget increased this week. And so you get to have cooler moments or be able to like do something crazier because you have a higher budget. Or you could be getting more or better writers on for sweeps week. And so your character's persuasive uh, arguments are better. You know, you have like a, a cipher that lets you basically a stim, right? It it makes things easier for you. (laughs) Could be the results of a contest or an actor negotiating a better contract. Like you could narratively flavor these in a very meta way that I have no idea if it would work, but I would try it. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. I love the, I love the whole sanity as part of horror. You know, that just sounds like a really interesting way to kind of have those ciphers build up. It's interesting to have ciphers operate on a meta level. They affect the world and they're going to have this effect, but the reason for that effect isn't something that we immediately know. That's a very interesting... It's like in our frame story kind of, right? Because we are also like, it's not the real world that's defining it, but it's some frame story we're having for our story. could be interesting. I almost think about uh, the Truman Show. Oh, oh, perfect. Right? You yes, know, like, exactly. Like, ciphers are things that, <laughs> you know, they drop They've in, like, somebody you? plants in the world or drops into the world that, you know, have these oh. special abilities when you use them. 
Uh, That's so good. Or even Hunger Games. You can play Hunger Games. Yeah. Ciphers being the drops of the... Uh, All the caches that you find in the, yeah. in the jungle or whatever. Yep. Oh, I like that a lot. That's cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, next, I'm going to jump into one of the new Cypher settings, uh, Gods of the Fall, and kind of talk a little bit about how Cyphers are used there. And so in Gods of the Fall, there's a lot of divine energy, I guess, yeah, <laughs> kind of permeating the world. And so in Gods of the Fall, the ciphers are objects that are invested with divine power. So there is this fall that actually happened is, uh, again, a word I probably will mispronounce, but the Elantar, they're fragments or splinters of that fall. The interesting thing that I really like about how ciphers are described in Gods of the Fall is that often when they are kind of found in the real world, they are just small crystals a few inches long. Oh, nice. However, as they hang out with you, they take on a form in keeping with their surroundings. So it's like initially they don't know what to be, but then if you just hold on to it for a while... When you take it out, it might be a pocket watch. It might be a notebook. It might be a pen. Cute. Whatever makes sense for it to be is what it'll be. Is the idea that it's like divine creation potential and that's why it can kind of take on different forms? Yeah, basically it is It is direct divine power creation manifest. And really that is all the ciphers found in Gods of the Fall. Unlike the modern setting, all of them here are manifest. So you don't find anything that is a subtle cipher that's just like, a, I can do this thing. Everything is something that you can hold in your hand, can be bartered with, stolen from you, whatever. It is all all something that, that you can hold, which is, which is interesting. I do like also in Gods of the Fall, the mechanic for if you have uh, too many ciphers, nothing bad immediately happens. However, as you start to build up and hold on to too many ciphers, ravers, which are really fragments of dead gods, begin to take notice of you. And obviously this would be the game master's prerogative to have them show up at the worst possible time uh, Mm -hmm. for your character. It's just interesting that they're able to take these ciphers, but they have, you know, this divine power. So like you said, they kind of have this raw creationism so they can change their form. Mm -hmm. And that here, the whole overage is something coming and hunting you down at at a time in the future. I love that so much. That, that's like a scary thing. Somehow I find that scarier than like rolling on a table. Right. I think I think the thing is, is because it's so unpredictable. You never yeah. know what, yeah. <laughs> when they're going to show up. Yeah, because once you've rolled on the table, you're like, oh, I don't have to roll again until tomorrow. Yep. Yeah. If you did like, okay. Oh, that's fine. Oh, I like the someone will hunt you down. <laughs> yes. Here, here so they come. Good. Jeez. So I'm going to skip back to a another sort of generic genre. So fantasy ciphers might take, I think there's a lot of different ways you can play with that depending on your particular flavor of the fantasy setting. Isn't it fancy in magic that is like, you know, you have to read from your spell book to get the magical words and runes like knocking around your noggin. Yep. And then once you say it, it like leaves your mind. So it's sort of D&D magic, right? So I can imagine that, you know, as long as you don't have spell books, that turns every spell into a consumable one, right? Because you read it, mm-hmm. it's in your head, but once you use it, it's gone, right? Until you get a new piece of paper with a new set of runes or something. Mm-hmm. So that could work for like spells, curses, charms, you know, you can skin that however you want, but any kind of fancy and magic works well as a cipher if you're not a wizard who's supposed to be like, 
you know, magic missileing all day long, you know, as long as you don't have cantrips, right? Yeah. Um, or if you do, make it an ability and not a cipher. Just mm-hmm. make the powerful spells, these Vancian ones. I also think that if you had component use, like spell components are a way that D&D usually uses to limit certain spells, right? Like your resurrect spell takes an expensive diamond. And if you can't afford the diamond, you can't do the spell, right? <laughs> so it limits its use and you consume that diamond during the spell. So you could definitely have any kind of spells or rituals be ciphers, by making there be very rare components that you have to consume that let them be ciphers. Although this this maybe makes it sound less random, right? So I guess really rare rituals could be ciphers, right? It's some incredibly rare component that you could never, you couldn't even have thought of doing the spell until you have this component. Yeah, I like that idea actually when you brought it up. I think what I like about it is that it says that the, the player knows how to cast this mm-hmm. spell. Like, right, they right. know how to to cast resurrection, mm-hmm. but the component for resurrection is just rare. So even though it's not 100% random, it's still something that they may or may not find in a random fashion, yeah. right? So, oh, so it may yeah. be that, yes, I know resurrection, I know it takes a diamond, and when we're rooting around in a treasure hoard, we find a diamond. And I just know that that is essentially my resurrection cipher. Yeah. Uh, so, cool. yeah, I mean, I think that that can work. That's it's definitely an interesting take on it. Thank you for letting me work through that. <laughs> a lot of these I haven't actually done myself. So it's all it's a bit in theory, but I think I think they're workable. Yeah, for sure. The last uh, setting that I wanted to talk about was predation. Predation isn't out yet. I believe it comes out early next year. And everything that I'm going to talk about is based off of an early playtest. So if some of this doesn't come out this way, it's not mm-hmm. my fault. Uh, <laughs> obviously, it was changed in playtesting and something much cooler probably happened. you ruined happened. it. After your playtest, they had to throw out. Yeah, they were like, oh, this is terrible. Get rid of it. <laughs> So the interesting thing here is that there's some articles that Shauna pointed me to where they're starting to work on our DNA being storage, basically, uh, so that you could store things in our DNA. And that is what ciphers are in predation, because even though predation takes place in the time of the dinosaurs, the people there are from the future. So at that point, our DNA has been kind of modified updated whatever to have this innate ability to store information basically these ciphers come and they attach themselves to your dna this has two interesting effects the first is that unlike gods of the fall all ciphers here just about are subtle you're not going to have like a grenade that you can throw You could potentially have like a ray beam or something shoot out of your hand, but it's still coming Mm -hmm. from you. Cool. And also, since they are like part of you and part of your DNA, they're not transferable. You know, we can't be like, oh, Oh, I have three ciphers now. I want to get under the limit. I want to give one of my ciphers to somebody else. You can't do that. They're just part of your DNA. So that, that's really interesting. Um, in predation, the ciphers kind of come from these time streams or these time anomalies that have kind of formed since 
people are time traveling and that always messes things up. Mm -hmm. There's these anomalies and basically you go there and you kind of like stand in the time stream and it recharges your your ciphers, basically. Cool. It's very interesting. Shauna did say that there is the very rare possibility of like a actual manifest cipher coming out of the time stream. That could be a cool like adventure hook or something, you know, like, hey, we, we got this thing or this thing appeared, you know, why did it come out or whatever. So cool. So are they, is it something that's attaching onto your DNA or in your cells? Or is it like rewriting your genetic code? I mean, I guess it could be like a jumping gene, like a transposon. So it goes and inserts itself inside your DNA. And then once it's done, it cuts itself out. That's a real thing. You're getting pretty sciencey for me, Darcy. Oh, no. I guess I better read the book first before I start uh, armchair <laughs> sciencing this. Yeah. And, awesome. Yeah, exactly how it works. I'm not sure. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> give me details, Troy. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited for predation. Yes, ah. I am very much so. So I think that's most of the types of ciphers and, and settings that we wanted to compare for today. But um, if you guys have some anecdotes about ciphers and how they've played in your games or ideas you have about how to contextualize them, I would love, love, love to hear your feedback on this one. Yes, absolutely. So why don't we move to Podities? All right. My potity this week is there is a non-cypher system game from Monty Cook Games called Invisible Sun. The Kickstarter ended in mid-September and it was uh, really good. I'm very excited for this game as well. But there is a new podcast that is just starting up talking about Invisible Sun, going over what we know what we don't know, maybe deciphering some secrets. And ultimately, the plan is, I believe, for them to run all the way through the release of Invisible Sun. And both the hosts, uh, Dave Hanlon and Scott Robinson, are both planning to run Invisible Sun when it comes out, or maybe even in the playtest, and really kind of give a lot of feedback and a lot of information about Invisible Sun. So we'll have a link to their first episode in the show notes. And definitely, if you are interested in Invisible Sun, you should go and check them out. Uh, Absolutely. I'm really excited for that. Those two co-hosts are going to be, that's going to be a great show. Yeah, I agree. Uh, So my potity this week is not a super timely one, but uh, one very dear to my heart. She's a Super Geek by Senda and Emily is a fabulous podcast that we adore very much. It is a an actual play podcast where they have women GM games and they just record them. So lots of different kinds of games, lots of different groups of people, very fun, really good production quality. So go listen to it. Partly why it's on my mind is that I've been like wanting to run something for them for so long and I haven't yet. So I'm either going to run Golden Sky Stories for them soon or possibly play in a Halloween game coming up. But they are great. We will have a link to their podcast in the show notes. Check them out. I I can't believe you're going on another podcast, Darcy. Will you not acknowledge it like Emily uh, (laughs) doesn't acknowledge talking games? (laughs) You're not a co-host, so it's probably okay. Uh, Well, Emily and I are going to co-host Talking Schmames, I think we said. uh, So get ready, Troy. (laughs) Oh, man. So as always, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Please come talk to us. We're very active on Twitter. I can be found at Darcy L. Ross. And I can be found on Twitter at Troy P23. And while you're there on Twitter, you should think about uh, using the hashtag Cypher Someone and send that on over to us. And we will do our best to give you your very own Cypher sentence and 
you know, we might listen to your podcast. We might troll your Twitter account. We'll use all the information at our disposal to do our best. I'm going to Facebook stalk you, so get ready. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much for those of you who have done it. And we're working through the list slowly, so don't don't worry if we, if we haven't gotten to you yet. So if you have some feedback about the show, if you have some suggestions for artifacts, ciphers, or podities, uh, you can email us at cypherspeakpod at gmail.com. You can leave comments on the individual episodes at cypherspeak.com, which redirects you to the lovely Misdirected Mark Network. And if you like the show, please consider giving us a rating on iTunes um, and leaving a review. It helps us. It helps other people find the show. Several of you already have, and we really, really appreciate it. But any feedback is, is going to make our day. So thank you so much for listening. So, uh, Troy, what cipher do you regret giving your players? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping you'll say something funnier, and then I can put it in the podcast. <laughs> Unless Troy decrees it. He's the ideas man. I just shoot everything down and get grumpy. <laughs> that sounds like you. Yes, Darcy is the grumpiest person we know. And engage. Cypherspeak is a member of the Misdirected Mark Podcast Network, the media arm of Encoded Designs. <laughs>